Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from The Next Real Film Podcast. And today we're talking about Minute 109, which begins with the credits for compositors Johnny Wilson, Diana Hynek, uh, Corbin Mel, Tony Lapoy, and Rob Netterhost, and ends with the credit for Assets Assistant Danny Brown. Joining us on the show today, we have Paul Hoppy, a.k.a. Zen Madman, a poker professional, a writer, a musician, a martial artist, a person who loves having numerous titles for himself, and a frequent guest of mine on the Superhero Ethics and Star Wars Universe podcast. Um, Thor, uh, <laughs> you're not Thor, uh, but we're celebrating <laughs> Thor. Paul, um, Thor. I, I, no comments on your ego. Uh, what, uh, happy Thor's Day. That's what I say. It's Thursday. Happy Thor's happy Day. Happy Thor's Day. Um, Thank you. What is your favorite Thor moment of, of all? And it can be from, um, you know, any of the movies, any of the TV shows, a comic book, a cereal box, uh, a role-playing game of heroes you played when you were 13. Uh, what's the best Thor moment you can think of? I went for the head. I don't know. <laughs> like, that the moment, like, is just so wonderfully anticlimactic. Like, the... To me, actually, that moment kind of... It comes back around to what this movie kind of set up, which was like, you can't solve everything with your hammer. And okay, he doesn't have his hammer anymore. He's got, um, what, Stormbreaker? Yeah, but like, you know, it's it's all over. He decapitates Thanos. It's just irrelevant. And he's just like, I went for the head. And the fact that, you know, he killed Thanos and that's like his moment of defeat kind of like that, that symbolizes most like just the loss and the failure and that it's just, it's so flatly delivered. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a million great Thor moments, you know? Um, but that one to me just kind of, it, it doesn't put an end on his whole arc, but it, it puts like a period on, uh, the whole development up to there. And kind of starts his next arc, which is a very significant one as well. Exactly. Exactly. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's the perfect, um, you know, payoff to the setup that we had, which we didn't even realize was a setup in the last film when Thanos tells him that, right? And so it's right. like, right. it's like he finally did what Thanos said and uh, it doesn't, doesn't make things better. Exactly. It's such an important theme, I think, this idea of like all these movies that are about violence and action and that sometimes that's not how you can solve things. And I think you're right that that's that's what Thor was taught. Like in this movie, it's he has to learn that, yeah, going and beating up the Jotuns doesn't actually solve anything and that he's still it's a very different version of it. But he's still learning a version of that all the way uh, to Endgame. So a yeah, great moment. We'll get a lot more thoughts on Thor right after this. You know how things have been over here with the merch. Uh, every time we have a change in seasons, we have a change in art. So the artwork for season four is not going to be around much longer in our merch store. If you want to get anything with the uh, fantastic Bifrost art that we have, uh, head over to truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute and click on merch. It'll take you right to our online store. So last chance, get in while the getting's good. All right, so let's dive right into the credits. Today, I don't have any kind of big Uber questions. We're just going to talk about the credits specifically because there's a lot of interesting ones. But I need to start by asking, 
most of the roles that we're seeing here are, you know, people who did a thing to make the movie happen, where you can be like, oh, yeah, the stunts, the music, the lighting, et cetera, et cetera. But then right in the middle of this, like, we still got a number of more minutes of credits to go. There's a whole segment about the accountants and the clerks. And, like, I guess if you're the people who control the money, maybe you've got some power and, like, hey, guys, give us some recognition. But, like, none of the other office workers associated with this movie, like the, the, the receptionists or all the people who, like, you know, did the office work necessary to run a movie crew, are credited at all. What What's going on? Why are they doing it? Or is this, or is the, or is the name mean something very different than what I think it means? Uh, having been a, 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 an accounting clerk on a film, um, uh, yeah, I mean, you're there every day, 14 hours a day, just like the rest of the crew, uh, going through all the paperwork that everybody does, the time cards, the, I mean, it's constant. And I mean, it's amazing how much paperwork that you have every single day and you're there with the rest of the crew in the production office just doing everything you know tracking down actors who um you know uh, chris pratt was on the the movie that i worked on and he w- thought it was really funny to never write his actual name on his paperwork and so somebody had to go out and and track him down every time to get him to actually put his name on his stuff so that he could get paid and so it's i mean it's it's amazing how much work there is but yeah it's um they're part of the crew they're part of the family well, I, I thank you for that. that. That's not a call out to me. That that that's exactly what I was asking. So, like, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, my view of accountants, it doesn't make sense that they're here. But that that sounds very much more like what would make sense. Yeah, I mean, they're they're cutting checks for uh, you know, all the vendors. Like, art departments always coming and saying, "Hey, I need to get these checks cut for these pre- these people because we need to pick this stuff up today." Uh, you know, loading up a particular department's cards with the money that they need so they can go out and do their shopping. I mean, it's it's uh, yeah, it's pretty constant. Yeah, I mean, the paperwork for expect you know spending a hundred million dollars or more has to be (laughs) just overwhelming also i think it would have been funny if that's just like just didn't pay chris pratt (laughs) right right? i know this is our that's what we kept saying it's like well we don't have to pay him do we yeah i I was gonna say um it's radio so you can't see the face but the there was not much of a surprise face when you said it was chris pratt who was kind of a jerk to people Uh, (laughs) i mean he wasn't a jerk he was just he was overly playful he was a mischievous he he very much was yes (laughs) kind of knocking over the table and not caring who has to clean it up yeah right that that was kind of the first thing that jumped out at my mind what else what else jumped out for you all watching these credits uh, you know, it's uh, we're we're in kind of a, a very technical swath here. We've got some sound people, some art department stuff, the accounting you pointed out, um, and then a lot of the grip and electric department that we have coming in here, kind of just like with all the different elements that they do with all the lights and other tech that has to happen. Costumes, uh, a big part of it for this particular film. Uh, we have a, a whole uh, section on kind of like the specialty costumes that were built for this film. You know, we talked about some of our frustrations with some of the warriors three costumes how they looked a little fake um but still i i like the design overall that they came up with with all the costumes for the film uh and then we get into a, then we start getting into the big blocks of like effects people who worked on this but it's it's a nice swath of of the variety of people who worked on this particular film yeah i mean the the fact the number of names that go by in a minute oh yeah you know and just like how many people are involved with with a production of this size um you know i i think some people are like oh what's the best boy do or like what's the the key grip and you know you've got your your electricians and and your grips who like the you know the gaffer is the i think the head electrician and then the best boy is like they're their number one 
you know, you're my number one guy. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, the electricians, like there's a lot of power that needs to be run. Um, I worked on, on, um, the lighting crew at the Manhattan center for, for a little while. And just like the, the amount of time spent setting up, like the electricians are usually the first in last out because nobody else is going to be there when you don't have power, right? Someone has to go in and literally turn on the lights and, and, you know, cable everything up and, you know, tape everything down. Um, and then the, you know, the key grip and, and the, all of that is, is, you know, like setting up, uh, for the, for the camera work and the, the rigging and just the amount of like physical materials and how, you know, we talked about stunts being dangerous, but like electricity is dangerous too. You know, heights are dangerous. Um, so, you know, these are very, very dangerous jobs that you need a lot of skill and, um, you know, they, I think, I'm not sure. Yeah, there's the, like there's you know their own unions, um, and just the you know just the amount of work that goes into you know um, you know Andrew's talking about these like 12 hour, 14 hour days um, that are just really grueling, and and you know you probably don't always know going in how long a particular shooting day is going to be, right? It's it's done when it's done, and um, but you know overtime is good too. <laughs> if I remember correctly, wasn't a big part of the union fight that we just had a couple a uh, couple of months ago about kind of cutting down on the ability to like just keep people working forever and like having more turn having more like rest time before you know have them work 14 hours and then call them back six hours later kind of things there's certainly a lot with that yeah the whole IATSE union fight that they were just having uh, there's a lot to that and a lot of it was also just like um, if you're going to do that, then you need to pay us a lot better, you know, and, 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 and like, that's a big element because I mean, it's hard. I mean, it's great when you're getting, you know, when you're getting that, that, you know, triple time or whatever, because you're, you're, you being so overworked, but on the flip side, your body is being overworked and it's really hard for you to kind of actually continue at that for a long time. And it's very difficult when a lot of the above the line people are like, okay, well, we're out of here. We're going to go off and, and they go and hang out at the bars and, and do whatever they need to do. Meanwhile, everybody else is still trying to wrap up and get everything off of the set or off the location because they, they're moving to the next location for the next day or whatever it might be. And so it's, it's, it can be frustrating. So yeah, it's, uh, it'll be good to see a lot of changes happen just to allow for safer work all around for everybody. Yeah. I mean, the hours just, I, my mom was, you know, she was an editor when, when I was a kid and she would spend six months working, you know, 14 hour days. And then she spent six months, not, not necessarily having a gig for a while, but, you know, she would say it, it would be like two weeks after finishing, um, you know, and even as an editor, like there's a release date. So they're just like trying to get it done and they just work 90 hour weeks until it's done. And she was like, there would be two weeks until I could like not feel sick, you know, <laughs> just like lying in bed basically all the time. Well, Paul, I also have to thank you. And I, I don't think we shared the notes for with this, but I, my two notes after talking about the accountants are, what is a best boy? And ask Paul about his experience in lighting. So uh, <laughs> you covered both those very well. And, you yeah. know, I, uh, and I think one of the reasons why it's interesting is like titles like best boy seem so weird. I think if you don't have any of the knowledge about it and mm-hmm. um, especially because it, it, it as I understand, it, at least it, it's it's very much about kind of like the history of Hollywood. You know, I have a friend who. Uh, like I, I went out to California and I had dinner with her and her husband. Her husband, um, I, I, I knew he was involved in the film industry, but I asked him what he did. He said, I'm a best boy, which this large gray haired man just saying that just was a bit of a dissonance. And he could see my face. He's like, yeah, 
it's a stupid title, but it's just what we've called this position <laughs> for 90 years, and so it's what we call it. Right. And I just like yeah. – there's a part of me that's like how – I, I have to imagine women have been in that role. I have to imagine oh, yeah. other yeah. adults are just like, I'm not a boy. Like, it, it's, I guess it's just kind of like a, you know, this is what we always do. But it's very funny to me that the name of that position has not been changed over all these years. Well, and I think that, you know, they've clearly had fun w- within the industry with that. Because if you, you know, go back to like the Naked Gun or the Airplane credits, things like that, where they would have like, you know, uh, you know, Dolly Grip polygrip what the hell is a grip like in the credits you know just like all this all this silly nonsense i mean it's it's fun that they play around with that and allow for that to be you know something that can be poked fun at a little bit i think the term best boy i was looking up the etymology a little bit this morning and i think it possibly came from like a seafaring term originally okay yeah i mean it's out yeah like a cabin boy and like first 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 mate's boy and stuff are definitely like old right. english sailing terms so and i mean rigging is right is is a thing on on sailboats. Yeah, right, right. The tape that often you use to like hold down wires and stuff like that is, is referred to as gaffer's tape. Uh, yeah. Often. Duck, yeah. Duct tape being a specific kind of that. Um, I'm probably getting the exact details of that wrong, but you get the general idea. Uh, well, there's a strong similarity between uh, duct tape and different types of gaffer's tape. But the joke on film sets is always that, you know, you, you just don't call it duct tape because then they can charge like, you know, five times as much for it. You know, and it's like, <laughs> you know, they use they use uh, clothespins all the time, but they call them C-47s. And it's just, it's because now we can charge more to, to sell them. And it's just it's, right. a, it's a whole right. joke. I also have to imagine that someone would draw the line about being listed in the credits as the head doctor so you know head gaffer is head doctor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. a little better there was there was one name that i wanted to call out and speaking of best boys it was for best boy rigging electrician and the name is cricket sloat and the reason that i wanted to call cricket sloat is because the name caught my eye and i'm like i that was in in the iron man credits too and sure enough cricket also uh was involved in iron man so it's funny how uh, some of these people like it's just a, a name like cricket ends up being a name that uh, that you're able to very easily remember yeah well and even there like you know, I was saying, like certainly some uh, best boys had to have not been been male. Uh, Cricket is a woman, um, yeah. so yeah, just kind of a, but that's the title, right? right, um, right. Yeah. So, Paul, what other uh, kind of credits stood out for you, or other things you noticed watching this minute? I mean, the accountant stood out to me, and I'm glad that we got some insight into that. <laughs> I saw your face and, while um, I was saying that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I know, I know what you're going to bring up now, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, I was also imagining like that. That can't be easy, yeah. <laughs> like, you know. Um, and, uh, and of course, you know, the, the electric and, and all that, um, the, you know, costumers and, and set dressers and that we only barely got into the effects. And, you know, there's, there's so many illustrators as well. And it's like, you know, you don't think, and it's like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, somebody drew all those drawings in a notebooks, right. And it's like, you know, there's, they draw storyboards and there's just so much that, that goes into everything. Yeah. Uh, there's it's and, and a lot of that work is work that you just don't even see on the screen it's the all all right. sorts of back end work that they use in the in the pre-production phase oh yeah to figure out what they're going to do but when once they have the cameras um, on set and ready to go right you don't want to get there with a crew of 100 people that you're going to be paying time and a half for half the day at the end of the day and like not be very efficient in what you're doing on set I know one, Andy, one of the names you highlighted was lead storyboard artist Federico de Alessandro. I can't draw a stick figure. Like, I'm horrific at art. And the idea that, like, there's a person who, like, draws out with color every scene in the movie, you know, or at least a, a lot of them, it, it just baffles me. Like, that's so much artistic creation 
that yeah, it's all pre-production. It's ne- nothing to do with what you see on screen, but like how much work that has to be and how much talent you have to have to be able to, you know, come up with a vision that the director is able to be like, yeah, that's what I, that's what I want. And then everyone else can look at it and go, okay, I see that drawing. I don't know what we're trying to create here. And oftentimes it's, it's doing it over and over again for different departments trying to figure out what what how is this actually going to look like how are we going to create this observatory you know and 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 working with the different departments to try to figure out oh okay so if we do it like this big sphere and and so i mean yeah there's it's just an amazing amount of work that goes into sorting all this stuff out and then figuring out how you're going to film in it you know where are the walls that you can pull out so that you can get the cameras in i mean it's just it's this constant um, things and, and nowadays with the world of effects, it's like you know what are we actually going to build? What are we going to give to the the visual effects department so that they can create the rest of the set, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I know Bo Welch and everybody in this film celebrated so much how they created such elaborate sets, and so there were some very big sets that they created for this film. But I mean, still, Asgard's a pretty big place, and and you know they did a lot in Puente Antiguo too. So I mean, they they still did a lot of work to. Uh, digitally to add on to everything. Yeah, I loved. We talked before about all that, like swirling shot through the cosmos at the beginning of the the credits. I, I don't know if that's the kind of thing we could storyboard it, but it's so I'd love to see what the storyboards for that were. You know, like how did someone conceive of like this? Because it's very like esoteric and ethereal and like subtle that you know you come. It's not like here's a planet, there's a planet. So. Yeah, it's fascinating. I really, uh, part of me wishes that we could see a little Loki at one point just kind of like falling through it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I hear that. I'm still screaming. (laughs) Uh, And it ends with the assets assistant, Danny Brown. Um, Now, in that case, uh, Andy, my first thought with assets means that it's like props, like the physical assets on a set. But then I also wonder if maybe assets is about like, but like the monetary assets that's connected to the, the clerk stuff. Do, do you know what that term, who, what that person is? Well, I, I my best guess because um, because uh, the credit comes right after the uh, like some of the publicity credits for unit publicist and still photographer. My guess is that they're dealing with all of the assets for um, just all of the elements that they're going to be building and keeping from the set for the marketing department to then pull so that they can start. Oh, kind of, I see. Uh, I mean, that's my best guess. I, I'm not exactly sure, but it's, it's purely based on it on the position with those other credits. And I think like photos taken on set are referred to as assets as well. Oh, oh, he's figuring out like what photos are going to go to news magazines, you know, different like publicity magazines. Um, The cynical part of me says this person maybe decide which photos are going to be leaked accidentally. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's a whole other story. All right. Well, any other last things about this minute that we want to get into? Uh, I think that's it. Yeah, I'm good. Um, all right, Paul. So we talked about a bunch of different stuff. Is there any other kind of content you're creating out there that we haven't got a chance to, to tell listeners about? Probably. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, not really. I don't know. I mean, we're uh, doing a bunch of Batmans, which probably will have been done, right, um, by the time that this comes out. So we will either have liked or not liked the new Batman movie. And... <laughs> um, and uh, we're we're doing some Boba Fett, which uh, speaking of like storyboarding, I really enjoy how they use their storyboards at the end of their credits. Yeah, yeah it's a really nice way you of know, both honoring that work, but also yeah. of like just because at first I didn't even realize that. I was just like, oh, there's always some drawings. Oh, oh no, wait, these are the storyboards. Like they, yeah, it's they kind of did in Mandalorian too. So it's it's nice seeing that. They yeah, it kind of yeah, created exactly. that for some of these TV shows that they're doing. I like that quite a bit. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you, thank you both so much as always. Um. 
uh, all the ways you can find Paul we've talked about and you can find it in the show notes. Uh, my stuff is all on the ethicalpanda.com. Uh, Andy Nelson is part of the Next Real family of podcasts, one of the founders of the Next Real, and you can find so many different great film podcasts there. Uh, so please check all those out. Thank you so much for listening and have a good day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. Music